Welcome to this episode of Woman to Woman podcast series. Our guest today is Dr. Mirnalini Garv. She is a career coach who teaches women how to bust through their income ceiling, be valued as a leader and create the fulfilling and impactful career they have always wanted. She has a five-step process that she calls the mind booster that really helps women achieve their full potential. Hi Mirnalini, welcome to Woman to Woman podcast. So excited to be talking with you today. Divya, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Let's start uh, for our listeners. What do you do today? I'm a career coach. I am America's exclusive coach for South Asian women. And my hope and mission with my offer is to help other women just like me, who speak like me, resonate with me, who have suffered with being underpaid, passed up for promotions and never saying anything because of the culture and the way we were raised. I work with them to help them find their voice, speak up, be seen and admired and respected as a leader and fast track to the next level, even if their bosses do not think they are ready for it. That's a great mission statement. You are actually trained as a medical physician. What led you to becoming a career coach? So how did that journey go about? So I started my career as a physician. I was trained as a physician in India. I practiced there for about four years. But my heart was not 100% into it. I wanted to do more, but just did not know what exactly it was. And I decided to continue in my healthcare field. Uh, So I came to the US in 2002, actually. So yeah, almost 20 years ago, can't believe it. Got my master's in health administration that gave me an opportunity to work at some amazing organizations uh, here in the US at the Johns Hopkins uh, Baby Medical Center and Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, where I worked as a leadership coach, a process improvement coach. And then uh, that experience led me to work as a business professor, another um, great opportunity to work at the Ohio State University. But then throughout this journey, I I felt I was not fulfilled in my career and I wasn't meeting my full potential financially, professionally, personally. Then I realized that if I am someone who feels that way, I can't be the only person on this planet feeling that way. And I decided to make that mission to help other women who are not feeling that they have achieved their full potential, uh, help them to really figure out what they want to do, what their purpose is, and how to really shine in whatever they are doing. You were teaching, right? So you were teaching students, and I'm sure it's extremely fulfilling. But how do you think that experience really led you to becoming a better career coach? Fantastic question. Teaching allowed me to really help understand what the students need. And, you know, I was that kind of professor who did not have any tests uh, for students, which, you know- I'm sure you were loved by everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't loved for that. I think I was appreciated and I, I was loved for helping students apply things in real life. Whatever concept I taught them in the classroom, my assignment was for them to apply it in their personal life or in their professional life. So some students at that time, and this is, I'm talking about the undergrad classes, but I've also taught in the MBA and MBOE program, which is an advanced business degree program. But let me just quickly give you an example of what happened in my undergrad classes is that they had projects that they would work on, which I helped create uh, or generate those projects by connecting with local companies. So actually they went and applied 
whatever they learned in the classroom on those projects. And then they would come back and share their experience and I would give them feedback and also how they could apply all of it in their personal life. So if I was teaching a concept of 5S, which is uh, basically organizing your workplace in a way such that everyone working in that area wouldn't have to waste any time at all finding things that they need. So I would have my students go and see how they could apply it in their apartment right in their backpack you know how they could organize everything such that it's easily accessible to them so students really loved it I got so many emails from them saying that because of what you have taught me I have become a great employee and I'm getting promoted so my philosophy is to really give students what they need to learn instead of what they think they need to learn <laughs> that's great so you came up with this whole uh, model mindset booster and you mentioned you had tested it with your students so I think that just shows, you know, they were willing to come and test your um, concept. So what is Mindset Booster and how did that come about? So I have done a lot of research. You know, when I started um, working in the U.S., you know, coming to the U.S. itself is a culture shock. Everything is so different and we have to learn from scratch. I mean, simple things like, you know, when I was in the college corridor and some students would just pass by and say, hey, what's up? It's a simple thing. I mean, after living here for such a long time, I know WhatsApp by WhatsApp, they mean, hey, how are you doing? But I literally took that sentence and I looked up and I would say, what guy ceiling? I don't know. You know, I mean, these are little things, but these can be challenging not really knowing the culture. So I got into that habit of really learning what is required to succeed. So simple thing is making connections, really understanding people, really knowing what do they mean by what they are saying. And as I was on this journey because I was not fulfilled. I met with a lot of female leaders, not only in healthcare, but a lot of different industries. And as a business professor, you know, I got a chance with working with managers, supervisors, frontline staff, C-level people in different industries. The reason I wanted to meet with them was to really understand why they are successful, how they define success, what really brought them to the place where they needed to be, what do they love about what they do, what they hate about uh, what they do it all boiled down to having a certain kind of a mindset which I like to call uh, a success mindset or growth mindset where they are willing to explore the edges of their comfort zone explore their true potential and over the time I realized that after you know pouring through a lot of literature going through a lot of self-help books attending workshops on personal personal development and leadership programs and all of that, the one thing that was missing was the mindset part. I mean, everybody knows theory, right? You can go on YouTube, you can go Google and you will get millions of hits on confidence and personal development and all of that. But not many people focus on mindset. Not many people focus on the limiting beliefs that hold us back. And that's what gave me this idea of creating something which completely completely changes the game because you have to have that success mindset to propel ahead in your career. And that's why I created what I call as the mindset booster, where I help my clients focus on their limiting beliefs, understand what the root causes of those limiting beliefs are, how to overcome those, and then 
how to advocate for themselves in the workplace so that they can negotiate the maximum possible salary so that they can get on juicy strategic projects so that they are seen how to speak up in the meeting so that they can be visible and be recognized for what they bring to the table. That's such an essential part of how to succeed. I'm so glad your clients get to do that with you. You are also a published author, an international best-selling book, The One Thing That Changed Everything. So let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. The book came to me. <laughs> Basically, um, the main author of that book, she was my coach actually since I started my business. You know, I took help of so many coaches and that that's why I am where I am. But she was one of my business coaches and she came up with this idea that she would like to bring some strong women together who can share their stories, their victories, how they made lemonade from the lemons that were thrown at them. She reached out to me and I said, you know, that's that's a great idea. Although I was feeling a bit vulnerable also <laughs> because, you know, it was about writing about my story and I really wasn't sure how everyone would take it but then ultimately I realized that I'm not doing this for others I'm doing this for me and if my story inspires a single person on this planet then I would feel that I'm successful if, if I could inspire somebody and that was the thought process so there were 19 other women who contributed to this book and it ended up becoming uh, an international best-selling book so many stories and it it was just an amazing moment to be surrounded by these amazingly successful women who had gone through difficult stuff in their life, uh, difficult childhood, difficult, uh, you know, adult life. And they are here, they are making it, they are very successful, they are very powerful, and they are changing lives. So it was a great honor for me to be a part of this book. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So Mrinalini, we, we have chatted a little bit um, about, you know, your life, how things were. So let's just go back for a minute and talk about it. So you have had a very difficult time. You found yourself as a coach. You discovered that you were a better coach and you had this passion uh, than being just a physician. You also discovered a lot more about yourself along the way. So how did that journey come about? Wouldn't have been easy for you? You're right. It wasn't easy. It was a long winding path to get to where I am. I would have loved it to have um, short-circuited it and not have to go through this long winding path to where I am. To take you back to the very beginning of my life, there are a few things in the South Asian culture which is normalized, which is parents hitting their children, the physical abuse. It, it just considered a very normal thing. I mean, I was surrounded by friends who had their parents hitting them, uh, physically abusing them, verbally abusing them emotionally abusing them and uh, unfortunately I had a rough childhood my mom would hit me and my brother and you know the interesting thing Divya about physical abuse is that even if it's normalized it does impact your psyche you know when when a parent hits their child or scolds their child because they do not know how to raise children right because they feel that unless and until I punish them because disciplining and punishing are two different things you can have your children do the same thing 
without using any coercion or hitting or uh, punishing because they do not know and most likely they were raised the same way you know my my mom raised me the same way the thing with that is if parents are not satisfied with their own life invariably they tend to take the frustration out on their children which is really unfair and children really do not understand well if i did not come first in the classroom why should i get punished so much why should I get hit? We don't even have the prefrontal cortex at that time to analyze that. Oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. All we do is, you know, a, a reptilian brain or the midbrain. It, it just goes into overdrive. As we grow up, we have the repercussions from the violence that we have been through. And I'm not just talking about physical abuse. I mean, children go through terrible stuff, sexual abuse, physical abuse, all of that stuff. And it impacts us in a way that... So so if my if my mom is hitting me i don't have the prefrontal cortex or the analytical um, ability to say that my mother is wrong but i go into the go into this mode that i must be so bad that my mom has to take such a drastic action to fix me so what happens when i grow up i feel that feeling of inadequacy so i don't feel enough if if i'm afraid of my mom that fear comes to uh, our bosses right authority figures so we we don't like confronting them we are afraid to ask for what we deserve so we undersell ourselves and because that feeling of inadequacy is there, we constantly try to prove ourselves by taking on more, saying, yes, yes, I will do that. Yes, I can help you. And then we end up overworking and then we feel like an, uh, you know, overqualified, underpaid workhorse. And even though we are doing all of it, we don't get any recognition because now <laughs> we have trained people around us to treat us like a workhorse. So instead of speaking up, which we are afraid to, because we were afraid of speaking up when we were younger we bring that same attitude in our meetings we bring us bring that same attitude when we are talking to our bosses or the leaders in the company so we don't feel that confidence so whatever happens in the childhood it gets reflected as an adult and you know that's where the limiting beliefs actually come from and if we don't fix that no matter how many times we switch our jobs no matter how many times we might get promoted which by the way we don't we mostly get passed up for promotions because we are not as confident as we should be or we take a break oh let me just take a break i'll figure it out what are you going to figure out you won't be able to figure out anything unless and until you really understand why you're not confident you know that has been my journey and took me a long time to get to where i am and when i work with women today i know that they are so talented they are so qualified they are intelligent they're smart they're brilliant but they're not getting paid as much as they should be they're not speaking up as they should they have self-doubt and childhood experiences have led me to this place to be able to encourage and inspire and coach women just like me i don't think i needed to have that experience to get here i would have short-circuited that experience and really done what I truly love. At that point, did you have any other father figure who really inspired you, guiding you in the right path? I wish I had somebody who, who would have said, I'm going to take you under my wings. Don't you worry. I've, I've got you covered. And that's why I want to become that person who can take others under their wing and say that, hey, I've got you covered. But I have had uh, many people, for example, one of my uncles, you know, he said this one line when we had gone to see a live cricket match. He had had some passes and we were able to get in the rooms where all the 
cricketers were going to be and of course we had our autograph book <laughs> and we went and were taking everybody's uh, autographs and he just made this comment yes it is fun to get other people's autographs but do something about your life so that others will come to you to get your autograph <laughs> and i thought that was so powerful and that just gave me this idea that you know i need to focus on my life i need to define what success looks like. I don't need to go with the convention that you're successful only if you do this. And whoever resonates with me, they will come to me. They will reach out to me and they will gain the encouragement and inspiration that they've been looking for. So coming back to childhood, you have a four-year-old son. So how is your relationship with him? Thank goodness. You know, I have done all the work. <laughs> I know my triggers. I know my limiting beliefs. I mean, every parent adores their children but i adore him for being a person you know being an individual by himself you know i don't need to influence him i don't need to tell him to be a certain way just seeing how much potential a four-year-old person or a six-month-old person can have in in our minds we usually think oh he is just a kid or she's just a kid you know what do they know but they know a lot if we just allow them to express if we just allow them the opportunities to be themselves because we are constantly don't do that that does not look good okay you should go and do this it just kills their personality so i'm fortunate that and i i will just say you know i i, I will not say that i've figured everything out but I have figured at least this much out that I'm not emotionally reacting for him being a child. What happens is if we are stressed at work and we don't know how to deal with it and we come home, we are tired and exhausted and the last thing we want is, you know, our child to come and say, mommy, mommy, please play with me. And we just lose it, right? It's like, I'm so exhausted and I don't have any time for you. And instead of really appreciating that, you know, this child, all that this child wants in this moment is some time with him or her. But we are so busy, we are in overdrive. You know, I'm exhausted. Why did he say that to me? I should have said this in the meeting. Why don't I speak up? You know, why Why did I not negotiate the salary? The, all of these thoughts are going on in our mind. And then we do not give our presence to our child. I really feel fortunate that I'm not letting my triggers impact him and give him my presence. I learned from him so much, you know, honestly, I, I learned so much from him to be in the present, to really enjoy, like immerse in whatever he's doing. He is so creative and imaginative, making up all these beautiful stories. He is indeed a joy of my life. So you mentioned, you know, a lot of us get stressed because we're not acting on what we should at the right time. And then we're thinking about it afterwards. Are there certain traits that you have noticed working with all these women that that you think are common where we don't do what we should be doing what are some of the things we should not be doing many times we do not do the right thing so to speak because of self-doubt let's just say someone is in a meeting and a question gets asked women know in their mind that's what they should say but instead of speaking up they keep tossing that idea in their head oh but i don't have all the information should i speak up what if this is a stupid idea what if somebody judges it we, we just go into that loop and in that moment somebody else shares that exact same idea and guess what what happens they get the spotlight they get the applause you know they are visible and you know in the next few weeks we say they get promoted why do we hold ourselves back 
because we doubt ourselves you know the very famous imposter syndrome a lot of women you know put it out there oh i have imposter syndrome as if it's very fashionable we all know that imposter syndrome is not fun we know you know how many promotions we have missed out on how much money we have left on the table because we did not negotiate our salary we have felt the sting when someone half as qualified as us or half uh, hardworking as us zooms ahead of us, right? We know that pain. So imposter syndrome is not fun. What do you do instead? Understand that if you have so many qualifications, if you have the expertise, anything that comes out from your mouth is not going to be ridiculed. It can't be. It's impossible. And women being women, we already think quite a lot right before saying it you cannot go wrong with it let's just say it is a ridiculous idea the world is not gonna fall apart it's okay to speak up but the most important thing that women can do is to really address why they are doing what they are doing because if that pattern is not broken even if you get another job you're going to repeat that same pattern they can explore that on their own but like me it's gonna take them 18 20 years or they could find an expert and work with them and say that hey you know what i feel i'm not meeting my full potential at work i need help and reach out and get help and find somebody who has been in their shoes there are a lot of people out there who will teach you all the right things but if they haven't been through that journey it is very hard to coach and teach someone so that they can actually get their transformation but reaching out for help investing in themselves is an important thing that women should do we always try to find out how to take the easy route it does not help in the long long run excellent advice so on a personal note anything that nobody knows about you or not many people know about you it is out there now but i still want to uh, say it here i wrote in that book my whole story but one of the things that does not get talked about especially in the south asian community you know lgbt homosexuality you know for the longest time i was living in the closet i did not even know that term you know what lesbian meant i did not even know what homosexuality was in fact it was really scary to even think about it because in med school we had a book called forensic medicine <laughs> medical legal aspects of healthcare, right of health and in that book it was clearly written I, I still remember there was this three line paragraph uh, in that book basically it said homosexuality is crime under Indian law and it is a pervert behavior so when I was growing up I realized that I have feelings for girls as I was growing up for for women it really shook me when I read that and I thought I am a criminal and it was a really scary thought and also because it's not spoken openly I was not able to share it with my dad my mom passed away when I when I was 14 uh, but I was not able to share this with my dad or my brother and I was not able to share it with my friends either because I just did not know how it would be taken and my friends were my only support system really at that time so I did not want to alienate them in South Asia or in, in India specifically right a girl 
comes to a certain age, then the most important worry that parents have is that, oh, I have to get my daughter married. Unfortunately, I did get into a, a marriage with a man and uh, of course it was not going to work out, but it was just not having that knowledge and not having any role models that time. I did not know what I was doing. I was just following the convention. But then I came to the US. I was a research assistant for a professor who is a lesbian and then she put me in touch with South Asian LGBT community and that's when I realized this is who I am and then filed for a divorce which wasn't very pleasant then I found someone fell in love we got married now we are again in a process of divorce but the thing is that you know all these things you know marriage divorce success failure if we just went by the convention you know divorces can be considered as failures but really you know divorce is an internal journey it's like really figuring out who you are what truly gives you joy how you want to live your life and the more clarity you get you have to commit to that commit to the life that you truly want for yourself and go after it because people will always say something you know some will like you some will hate you and my thing is on this planet there will be 50 percent of people who like you 50% of people who hate you. And I choose to focus on the 50% who like me, just live my life the way I want to live it without compromising and going after what I truly want. Thank you so much for sharing that. So any closing comments, Mrinalini? One thing I'll say is that I want to share the commonest mistake that women make in their career. A lot of the times it does not seem that way, but women tend to treat their career as a hobby. You know, I get to speak with so many women and they say that money is not that important but I want recognition but then I speak with so many women and they say that well I, I need money for my children's education I haven't saved up enough I don't have money saved up for retirement I constantly live within the means because you know that's how we have been taught especially in the South Asian culture instead of really and, and also you know if they're married taking their uh, spouses for granted that they will take the majority of the financial responsibility but you know what with the changing world what if there are layoffs uh, what if something happens so it's important that women treat their career as a career and say that i'm not going to settle i want recognition and i also want money because why wouldn't you you do need money to support your family so you cannot just say that money isn't important because that's what we do with hobbies right you do the hobby because you don't expect to make any money or at least not a lot of money the one thought i want to leave here is that uh, women really treat their career as a career and not as a hobby. Great advice. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences, your journey. Personally, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Divya. Thank you for having me here. And thank you for uh, being this messenger and inspiring other women to, to really take charge of their careers and their lives. So it has been a pleasure knowing you, knowing the work that you're doing. And thank you for having me here.